0: and welcome to transition seeker we've got russell here the program where we try every week to uh, encourage you to uh, find critical and creative responses to pop culture thinking of it in terms of conscious consumption and it can also be unconscious consumption too i had a dream i had a dream last night um A woman was saying the only way out of this crisis, meaning, I guess, the coronavirus crisis, is to implement something like socialism. What kill the bitch? The only thing that will save us from this situation is good old free market capitalism. And when I say us, of course, I mean the capitalists, the investors, the rich people like Rupert Murdoch. I won't be happy until my mate Rupert is safe, I tell you, when he's ensconced in his luxury villa with a lifetime supply of food and other goodies i suppose it won't be too much fun if the rest of us uh, the workers aren't around to make him his profits but he should have enough to get him by he could always try automating production but uh yes uh, that requires workers to set that up for him doesn't it so um yeah it was an unusual dream as they often are with a little bit of truth in it um and I guess dreams can be ironic, and I think that woman had a point, in fact. But um, on with the show. Um, it's been 10 shows now. This is the 10th since I started this program, and so maybe I should repeat some of my credentials in case you're wondering who the hell I am, and why do I feel qualified to talk about all this sort of stuff. Well, I'm, my name's Russell Forden. Uh, I've made <coughs> a, career, a 30-year career being a high school teacher teaching media studies and English Fairly recently retired. The media studies and English stuff really, um, cemented my, my love of, of all things mass media and books and literature and so forth. And I, you know, I think I learned something about teaching it to others. Um, recently I, I just completed, uh, a diploma course in library and information services wanting to be a library technician which um, is a bit useless at the moment all the libraries are closed but uh, but that of course has just been a reinforcement of my my love of books and of uh, mass media, really. Uh, libraries aren't just about books. They're all about uh, mass media these days DVDs, CDs, e media, and so forth. And um, marketing, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. Um, so I thought I'd bring all that wealth of knowledge and interest into this particular podcast, which was an outgrowth of an old podcast I did with a friend of mine called Rui, which was called The Swamp. And there you have it. You're up to date. What do we got for the show today? I'm going to try something uh, new. I'm going to try instead of doing my usual two longish segments, I'm going to try some what I call mini segment ideas that I've got. Um, four of them, in fact, um, centered around things like the anime industry, th- the medium of television, um, and um, music videos. I want to talk about them and s- music in, f- in general, songwriting, and, and song lyrics. Got ideas for, for those that I want to do segments on. So let's get on with the show. Uh, back in a sec with the new adventures in pop culture. time for the new adventures in pop culture my particular new adventures in pop culture, what's yours though uh, before I even start because I really would like to know um, one of my visions for this program, this podcast is get feedback from people, what they're consuming and, and how they're doing it and what they've learnt it would be really nice to be able to share some of them here, so um, get cracking, all you amazing listeners out there. Uh, but for the meantime, you'll have to put up with my boring rundown of what I've been doing. Um, not so boring, hopefully. Um, so what's current for me? What have I bought or what I've been interested in? Um, I'm listening to a record called Best of Steelers Wheel, subtitled uh, Stuck in the Middle with You, which was the big hit they had back in the 1970s. What a fantastic album that is. The thing that really strikes my mind about it is how th- much they sound like the Beatles, which is a great thing. Um, to get it, Any band that sounds like the Beatles is okay by me when, when they re- write and record stuff that... Reminds you of the, the mop tops. Um, that's, that's beautiful. That's one reason why I really like ELO. Uh, one of those bands, um, that really tried to, to sort of carry on that sound. And, uh, it's a great legacy. And, uh, the main man, I guess, the most well known man in that band was Jerry Rafferty. And, um, and I've also been listening to his fantastic solo album he did a couple of years after Steelers Wheel broke up. Uh, the album City to City, the album that had that great track, um, Baker Street on it. What an awesome album that is. It's oh it's uh, even better than the Stills Will stuff I think. Um, really, really been enjoying that, really recommended. Um song called Whatever's Written in Your Heart is particularly beautiful, but the whole album is just gorgeous. Um so yeah, I've been enjoying that. Uh in my music, listening, um and on this, on the, it's still on the musical theme. I, I've, um, here's a, a little update now for that, that uh, country music documentary that I've been watching and talking about. The latest episode, um, had some strange things in it. Um, it, we're getting, we're finding out now about Willie Nelson now and, and his rise to fame and, uh, and the whole outlaw thing. Um, they're clearly sort of ramping up towards um, that supergroup, uh, the Highwaymen, I think. They're, they've now done segments on all four of them, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, um, Waylon Jennings, and now Willie. Uh, they'll get to them soon, no doubt, but um, Willie um, did an album with uh, Merle Haggard, which was featured in this episode, the album Poncho and Lefty, and uh, I thought it was very strange that um, um, the narrative said the, the the title's track, um, came to Willie when he, when he heard the song for the first time his daughter played it to him that, uh, his daughter played, um, Emmylou Harris's version. This is about 1982, mind you, but, um and Willie hadn't heard the song yet um, Emmylou recorded that song back in 1977 for her um, luxury liner album, and, um I would have thought Willie would have heard it by then. Um, the next album that she did after that, um, in '78, um, Quarter Moon and Ten Cent Town features a, a duet with Willie. Fantastic song called um, "One Paper Kid." Um, I would have thought Willie would have been familiar with Emily's stuff, but clearly he hadn't been paying attention. Um, so. A little bit damning for Willie, I would say, right there. Um, but it's been really um, enjoyable watching this episode. It was really enjoyable watching this episode because it brought out some of the things I I mentioned in my country music genre roundup. Uh, we got Roseanne Cash's fabulous album, um, Seven Year Ache. a fantastic performance from her on that. And the George Jones song, He Top Loving Her Today, was featured. It's like they were taking from my script. Very satisfying... And next up, there would be television. Uh, I was watching uh, Insiders last week, uh, our the current affairs show we have here on ABC Two, uh, hosted by David Spears. And of course, all the talk is about uh, the whole coronavirus issue and the the government response to it. Spears had a, an interview with um, with our treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Um, for the question and I have to say it was pretty frustrating watching this interview often it is when uh, he's interviewing these bloody liberal politicians who are always so evasive Um, always direct questions being fired at them and them just easily batting them away Um, the the classic was the one last week before when that champion question avoider um, Matthias Corman was on it's really annoying. I mean, you can't come at these bastards head on, David, you, you know, with these direct questions. They're just going to swat them away and give the answer they want to give. Um, You've got to come at them sideways. And the thing that Spears, you know, the thing that really annoyed me was that Spears, he's got the treasurer there, and he didn't ask him the question, the question, which to me is what's going to happen when the coronavirus is over in particular. Is he going to uh to cut back... Unemployment benefits back to what they were before the crisis. That would be, you know, a number one question for me. I want one of them to a- ask, and he didn't do it. I guess if he had he probably would have got the same old evasions from old Friedenberg. But um, surely there's ways of framing these questions where they have to make some sort of response. Uh, an example, I'm thinking it would be uh, something like, um, you could say, well, after the snapback and the, the unemployment benefits back to what it was before the crisis how do you think people respond to that you could try something like that where you've got a, a question framed within the question and uh, if he asks up about the unemployment benefit being going back then you've got a response there or if he goes with a question and uh, says something like "Oh, people will be fine good little quiet Australians will be okay with that then you've got another response um, if you know what I mean there uh, don't they teach them this sort of stuff in journalism school um it just frustrates me the enough of the direct questions, please, and just be sneakier because they're sneaky um and finally, I want to move on to books in particular, a great little Twitter thread that I read recently. Which was instigated by uh, that that fabulous site Goodreads. Um, they ha- they framed a really nice question there for, to get a response from people. The question was, if you could escape into the setting of any book right now, which would you choose and why? Great little question. I certainly responded. Um, but what do you think was the um, was the most popular setting that people chose? That's right. It was Hogwarts, good old Harry Potter world, and the Hogwarts, Hogwarts Express, and all that sort of stuff. That got by far the most uh, responses uh, from people, um, (coughs) followed not too far behind by uh, the Shire from the Lord of the Rings, the world of Pride and Prejudice, and um, pleasingly for me, um, the Prince Edward. Island of Anne Shirley from Anne of Green Gables was also a popular one. I have to admit, I would like to escape to that world as well. I'm a big fan of the book. I'd love to go there. It'd be nice to just be her. Gilbert Blythe for a little while. That would be lovely. Um, But for myself, actually, um, my response was um, The Planet of Anares from uh, the Ursula Le Guin book. The Dispossessed, which I said uh, would Life would be probably hard there, especially during times of drought, but at least we would be free because it's an anarchist world. And, uh, yes, um, I think I could hang out there, uh, maybe with Ursula. Um, that would be nice too. Um, I would like to ask her lots of questions sitting up on the bench in, in the park in Abernay. yeah, anyways, a nice escape. Um, Thanks Goodreads for uh, giving us that little uh, question And that little Twitter thread, I enjoyed it Uh, Let's move on to the mini-segments now Coming up a quick musical break and we'll be back we're back transition seeker here uh, first of the mini segments that i'm going to try out i want to talk about um anime and and uh, some of the latest anime shows that that have come out on that fabulous site anime lab where you can get um lots of fantastic anime from japan streamed to you um for a very very low price about seven dollars a month it is presently australian um <clears throat> So, yes, that is a, f- a little free plug there for Anime Lab. I was very pl- pleased to see that they've got my favorite, um, anime, uh, TV show, uh, finally, Shirobako, Bako, uh, show about the anime industry, about a, a little anime production company and its trials and tribulations in producing a couple of anime programs. So, very meta, very beautiful, very warm, uh, sweet little program. And there's a film, the the, the film of Shirobako has just come out early this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing it when we finally get it here, when movies finally start up again. I won't go through all the things that have, been, that have come out recently, just some of the ones that I've watched that I enjoyed or maybe didn't enjoy, and maybe talk a little bit about those aspects of Japanese culture that they reveal and also, uh, by inference, what they say about our culture, because it's very fascinating, I think. There's a show I'm really enjoying at the moment called uh, Bufuri. I don't want to get hurt, so I'll max out my defense, <laughs> which is uh, an isekai, what we call an isekai uh, show. Isekai uh, meaning um, another world. The world can be a real one or it could be a, a virtual one. There are lots and lots of shows in that that genre um, that are very popular. The most well-known would be um, Sword Art Online, And this is another one in that, in that sort of, uh, vein. I'll I'll read out a a brief summary from Anime Lab. She may be new to gaming, but Maple has found the secret to invincibility. Just put all your skill points into defense until you can't even move. That works, right? She doesn't want to experience any pain in the virtual reality MMO game she started playing, and somehow it works better than anyone expected. Now she's got followers. And, yeah, it's it's a nice little program. I'm, I'm going to stick with it for a little while, um, up to the third episode now. Um, but it's an interesting aspect uh, of um, Jap- a lot of Japanese anime is that they, there is a real tendency to try to eliminate conflict, I think. Um, it seems like any kind of conflict, you know, is almost unthinkable. It seems to be a reflection of uh, that very polite society where um, you would do anything to avoid... Um, hurt feelings or or, you know, confusion or whatever. Um and I think that's kind of an interesting an interesting way to deal with it, um, within this anime sort of world. Um she's I mean it's very Japanese, isn't it? Um I'll max out my I don't want to get hurt so I'll max out my defence. Um it couldn't be any more Japanese, could it? Another one that I'm really enjoying is it's just started as a show that's centered on fishing, which was kind of an interesting sports kind of programme called um a diary of Our Days at the Breakwater, another show centered on a young girl. There's so many of them. I, I guess I'm kind of attracted to those kinds of animes where girls are the protagonists because I guess I'm, I'm more of a fan of the shoujo genre, the girl genre, than I am of the shounen genre, the boy-themed um, genres. Um, and I guess that's that's a reflection of my own um exposure to all those Studio Ghibli films which were often very shoujo. They almost always featured a young girl as a protagonist and it's carried on to my um, anime TV viewing with this particular show, Diary of Our Days at the Breakwater. anime's uh, Anime Lab's summary goes thus. Hina Surugi is a first-year student at a coastal high school and regards herself as an indoorsy type of person. Walking along the embankment, she runs into an old schoolmate. Kuroya, who invites her to join the Tebu club and start fishing. Surrounded by eccentric club members, how will Hina's high school life turn out? So yeah, nothing surprising there. Pretty much this show is going to follow a standard shoujo sport uh, trajectory, I should think, with uh, Hina learning how to fish and actually learning to enjoy it and stop being so indoorsy, perhaps. And making new friends clearly. And uh there's nothing wrong with that. I, I kinda I really kinda love these sorts of very happy, very positive sort of shows that are just young girls shining brightly as they say, um, like the the Love Live series and K on and all those sorts of lovely little shojo uh programs. Um but this episode this show um may have a little bit extra in it, uh, of interest because uh there's a, there was a very interesting scene early on where um, Hina is um, taught how to fish by um, this this older uh, student, and uh, she catches an octu- an octopus, a little octopus, and uh, she freaks out when she sees it, and um, and the octopus starts climbing up her leg, and the tentacle starts moving towards you know her thigh, in her thigh, and. Uh, she completely freaks out and then the friend basically grabs the octopus and kills it right in front of her um just very unsentimentally just as straightforward kills the poor thing and the way she does it oh my god and i was watching that th- thinking well that's not something you would normally certainly see in on a western children's program uh a, a creature being killed like that and uh um, clearly, um, this may be another, um, cultural observation from me. Hopefully, not too, um, condescending or inaccurate, but they do seem to be a lot less sentimental about, especially sea creatures. Um, I mean, culture famous for its sushi and, um, its hunting whales and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, uh, maybe it's maybe it means that they are a bit more in touch with, uh, their, con- the consumption cycle than we are. Maybe more realistic about it and less sentimental. But, yeah, that was a bit of an eye-opener, that scene, and makes me think um, that this show will have a bit more of interest to it for me um, and worth continuing with. Uh, one other show that I really would like to mention that I, I started watching that that started this year and that I've been enjoying is a show called Art, A-R-T-E. That's the girl's name. It's a show set in, um, in Renaissance-era Florence, and Art is, surprisingly enough, uh, not surprisingly enough, A budding artist uh, but she's also uh, the daughter of an aristocrat and uh, you can imagine the sort of issues that are involved in there the um, summary from anime lab goes like this art is no longer just a man's job born into an aristocratic family in florence italy during the 16th century renaissance era art has dreams of becoming an artist in an age of social classes art is willing to cast aside her aristocratic lifestyle and stops at nothing to achieve her dreams she finds apprenticeship in a painting studio owned by leo an artist who is strict but prioritizes ability over gender Classes a drama historical slice of life uh, program and some nice sort of girl power stuff happening in this particular show where art, um, is really stands up for herself and, and won't let others do, do work for her. She does it herself and is very, tries to be very independent. It's all about, I guess, female independence and, uh, um, it's really nice to, to just go back to this Renaissance era Florence. It reminds me of uh, other things like um, that game um, <clears throat> Assassin's Creed. It's very much that milieu. If you've ever enjoyed and played that game, especially the first one which was set in that era, um, you get to explore that again in all those lovely little um, artists' enclaves and uh, a busy hubbub of um, artisans and and apprentices and yeah beautiful stuff and i'll finish now with um that show interspecies reviewers which i've mentioned before the one that was um dropped by um funimation i think it was a couple of months ago uh finally caught the last episode and uh that was a really really good show really funny Um, eye-opening and quite obscene at times because, as I've said, it's it's very borderline hentai. Um, And I actually managed to catch the last few episodes uncut because I actually caught it on a particular site that I guess should remain unnamed, but I did manage to see it uncut. You can see it uncut before you have to wait for the uh, DVD. But um, overall, a really, really amazing experience, that one, Interspecies Reviewers. The world of Japanese anime just continues to evolve and to amaze and, and I'm going to keep doing it. I just love it. Um, let's let's finish now we'll get on to the next segment in a sec. Okay, welcome back. In this segment, I want to talk about song lyrics. Um, I've been thinking about song lyrics for quite a while these days. Some are good, some are bad, Um, some are completely indecipherable, especially if, like me, you've been listening to a lot of Asian pop, (coughs) you can sort of take a stab at a guess at some of the lyrics that I'm hearing, but... uh But I guess what got this started was I was listening to an album called Australian Showtime, a really old album from about 1970, a compilation of some Australian songs, Australian artists, some really old farts of the Australian entertainment industry like um, Don Lane and... Reg Lindsay and uh, people of that ilk and I've got to say for the most part the albums are not very good um that there were a lot of these songs are going they're going for some really sort of dull earnest sort of songs and earnest lyrics and singing not even good old normie roe can can save a witty song come hear my song which includes the 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 word groovy in it um which is all very well for 1970, but sounds very dated today. But then we come to uh, the, the final track uh, where we get into the point of this whole spill. A song was born a woman, and the singer is Judy Stone, the one female singer on the album. And uh, and the lyrics, for the most part, aren't bad. The lyrics written by a woman herself, um, a lady called Mar- Martha Sharp. Um, the song was originally... Um, sung by uh, sandy posey in the united states judy did her version and um just some really kick-ass stuff um with those lyrics you know it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor if you're smart or dumb a woman's place in this old world is under some man's thumb and it goes on if you're born a woman you're born to be hurt you're born to be stepped on lied to cheated on and treated like dirt and then probably the best moment in the song it just really they really punch home that message and uh, it's quite nice until you get to the very last, um, the last verse where it goes rapidly downhill in my opinion. Um, and when my man finally comes home, he makes me glad it happened that way because to be his woman, no price is too great to pay. We're back in sort of that bloody, you don't have to say you love me, sort of um, I'll do anything for my man not so liberated woman shit that uh, was going on so much in um in the 1960s, stand by a man and all that, and it's a bit of a disappointment coming at that point in my opinion, and anyway, for me, that puts me in mind of all those songs that have that are good songs but otherwise have shitty lyrics um I mentioned one just there, that dusty springfield song uh You Don't Have To Say You Love Me A real classic But when you think about those lyrics uh, You Don't Have To Say You Love Me Just Be Close At Hand Um, Boy, what's going on there? There's quite a slew of them when you think about it Uh, Songs that are otherwise very good But have lyrics that can be very disappointing I can think of so many. I want to, uh, I would like to name a few of them, shame them if you like, and and share them with you. And maybe we can decide why they're bad, or maybe you can disagree with me. Feel free to. But, um, another surprising addition for me is, um, a song by Carol King from that classic album Tapestry. There's a song on there called Home Again, which is a pleasant enough song, but, um, check out this lyric. Um, um, snow is cold, rain is wet Chills me to the marrow um, That's an awful couplet right there Snow is cold, rain is wet Carol, couldn't you have done better than that? Often I find the the culprit is just a really bad metaphor A bad simile um, Just really inappropriate Another one, another favourite of mine A real great song I think um, I Can't Stop This Feeling by REO Speedwagon Love that song as a song But uh, the lyrics... The lyrics are great for the most part, there's just a line in the chorus, um, like a ship coming to shore, I've uh, thrown away my oars forever, I hate that line that just does not flow for me at all, as an image, as a metaphor, thrown away my oars, um, sh- again, couldn't he done better, even something like, um, like a ship coming to shore, I'm not sailing anymore, I'd accepted that, um. Those bloody awls. um, (laughs) And sometimes it's just um, a strange word, word or word combination that just doesn't belong in a song. I'm thinking that otherwise good song by Rick Springfield, Jesse's Girl. One that he wrote because he wrote most of his songs. Um, Jesse's Girl. Can you think of what the line is that I I am going to complain about? um, I want to tell her that I love her, but the point is probably moot. That's the line I'm thinking. Moot. Moot in a fucking song? What are you thinking, Rick Springfield? Uh, no, no. Something else, please. Another one is uh, Betty Davis' Eyes by Kim Carnes. Another good song, but another with a line that ruins it again for me. The line is, um, and this possibly may be a mondegreen. I may have misheard it, but I'm pretty sure it goes this way. Um, she knows what it takes to make a pro blush. A pro blush? A prostitute blush, Mike. God what are you thinking Kim um, no no excise it um but there's lots more lots more i mean do you agree do you disagree um send me nasty letters if you disagree i'm quite happy to receive them uh i think about um neil young in this relation in, in this connection actually cuz neil i'm i'm sure there's um a, i know there's a an interview neil gave um where he talks about bad lyrics and how he's written his own bad lyrics. And um, and the thing he said that sometimes he he was in the habit of writing a verse that he knew was crappy, but he wanted to keep it in because he he just wanted to see whether he would have the nerve to sing it. He actually cited, um, as I recall, one of the songs he cited was that song Sugar Mountain, a really nice little tune. uh, And um, listening to that, I have to admit, I, I can't really spot the bad lyric in there Neil Um, which one were you thinking that that was really bad that that all sounds pretty good uh, to me but I like that idea, uh, intentionally writing some bad lyrics and put them in your song, knowing that they're bad. Uh, maybe something that's probably his mentor, Bob Dylan, has done. I, I can think of one line of Bobs that I've always had trouble with, one from that otherwise wonderful song, uh, Buckets of Rain. Um The line is, the A little red wagon, a little red, red bike. bike, ain't no, ain't monkey, no but monkey, but I know but what I like. like. Uh, come on, Bob, I think you could do better there. Let's finish this segment off with uh, some lines from that master songwriter, Jimmy Webb, writer of MacArthur Park and uh, Wichita Lineman, and By the Time I Get to Phoenix, and so many other great songs. Um, I have uh, his book, his memoir book, uh, The Cake and the Rain, and uh, and MacArthur Park, That the song sung by Richard Harris, has always been a... I think a sticking point for a lot of people, that whole cake in the rain, what the, the fuck, what the hell was, was that all about? What, it seems so weird, but um, to me, it's, it's a great lyric and it makes sense um when you, when you think about it if you know some of the, the background towards the writing of that song i know jimmy's sick to death of telling explaining it to people but he actually lays it out here in the book i'm just going to give it read a really quick quote here uh which will clue you in uh, firstly um it was part of a commission from a producer to write sort of a mini it was actually the guy who was producing an album by the band the association who uh asked him to uh, come up with a big uh, extravaganza number, um, a sort of climactic tour de force for the end of the album he was working on. And, uh, and so Jimmy sat down, and, and what he says here is, um, I sat down at the piano and idly tinkered with the right hand. This could be my magnum opus for Susan Horton. Um, it could be symbolic of the meltdown of our love affair and the sad last night at MacArthur Park. I couldn't deny I was still missing her and the relationship that had never really happened. My right hand found a D minor chord. I began thinking of images from the park, cosy symbols of innocence, like Susan feeding the birds and enticing them into her hands. She was gentle enough to do that. The lunches on the grass, a birthday, with a small store-bought cake that had green icing. I started playing. A downpour with the two of us foot racing through the rain and up the steps in front of her office building. I began to keep a notebook on one side of the keyboard and filled it with vignettes from Mac Park. Events and conversations, all real. I wasn't creating a sucker punch for unwary listeners. I was pouring out my soul on a surreal canvas. Yeah, awesome. Now go and listen to that song and, and uh, have a think about it. Uh, hopefully it'll make more sense to you now. And that's... My take on bad lyrics, um, try not to write any, okay? Try not to. Um, it's, it's not really an easy thing to get across to people, I guess. Um, the whole question of taste, I suppose, it's really a hard lesson to learn. You've got to internalize it somehow and do lots and lots of reading, listening, thinking, but, uh, eventually you'll get there, hopefully. Um, now, I see um, I've used up my 30 minutes. It looks like I've run out of time. I've talked too much. I clearly don't know when to shut up, do I? So uh, that's going to have to be the show for today. Um, we'll try and get those other segments up and running next week. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the program and enjoyed the little audio punctuations that I put into some of the segments there to emphasize some points. (laughs) Um, This is Russell um, signing out on behalf of Transition Seeker. Sayonara.